Hello, and welcome to Turning Point, a new podcast series on leadership, development, and growth from Vistage, the executive coaching organization dedicated to improving the effectiveness and enhancing the lives of our members. I'm Matthew Griffiths, a Vistage chair, business coach, and mentor, having been the CEO for companies both in the UK and the US over the past 30 years. Now, you've probably heard it said before, people don't quit jobs, but they quit their managers. Recent research from Total Jobs found that half of UK employees quit their jobs due to poor relationships with their boss. This is also true for CEOs that report to a business owner or a chairman. This issue is compounded by the fact that many business owners and chairmen receive little or no management training before jumping into their new roles, which can make it difficult for managing directors and CEOs to coexist with their boss. During the next few minutes, we're going to be joined by Vistage speaker, Glenn Daly. Glenn's an award-winning speaker for Vistage over the past 20 years and speaks on leadership. He works with leaders and executive teams to develop effective strategies and put in place processes and structure to execute that strategy. Glenn is here to discuss how the concepts in managing up will enable senior directors to report to their boss and to generate more trust with them. Welcome today, Glenn. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks for coming in. And it's great to have you here because it's like having an old friend in the booth with us. So many of us that will probably be listening have had you present workshops. I'm loath to say you're an old hand at this, but you are a a great friend of Vistage and of many chairs and members that are probably listening to this podcast. Thank you, Matthew. It's great to be here. Real honour and great to be doing it with yourself. Let's probably use that as a place to kick off the 20 years of working with the Vistage community, let's say. Mm -hmm. Over that time, you must have seen this issue come to light more and more as business changes and evolves over the past two decades. And I'm sensing that it's more of an issue now than it's ever been, or has it always been a really big thing that people have failed to master? I think it's always been a big thing. We're moving perhaps into an environment now where people do actually feel they can speak out a little bit more. I must admit, I'm not an expert on this millennials thing, but people start saying, oh, millennials are so different. So perhaps that's why it's raising its voice, as it were, that people are beginning to think, am I able to sort of make the contribution that I've been called in to do? And bosses are noticing and seeing it as resistance when it's actually just a desire to contribute and make a difference to the organisation. That's a great point, because I think this whole sense of wanting to do your best and actually play a part, as opposed to just being someone that's directing traffic and just being sent here then everywhere i'm not sure actually it's interesting i'm whether that's a millennial thing or whether that's all of us becoming more confident in our own skins and what we want to do in business i think these issues are continual issues that leaders will face yeah with almost any generation yes there was a time when you just kept your head down and shut up but i think the drive for businesses now is to scale quickly and to respond quickly Otherwise, you get disrupted. So the best thing is to disrupt yourself. And how do you do that? You mentioned it earlier, Matthew, about taking on the perspectives and views of everyone in the organisation. And this is the way to do it, to encourage that debate within the organisation. I think, by the way, the pace of change comment is really relevant. And maybe we can come back to that a little bit later on. So let's set our sort of universe here. In terms of managing up, is there a definition or is there an understanding? How would you define it, Glenn? I use a definition which says managing upwards is creating the environment 
within which, and I'm working initially from the reports to the CEO. So for the CEOs listening, it's, you know, is this happening in your organization? Is there an environment where your direct reports, your colleague, your associate, whatever's the term you use, yeah, is able to operate in an optimal fashion and at the same time release you so that you can focus what you should be doing. So managing that is creating the environment in which, say, a direct report can operate in an optimal fashion and allow the CEO to also operate in an optimal fashion and spend time where you should be. There's an element of trust here. In fact, trust obviously must feature quite heavily in this. Absolutely. I run another session called the Ultimate Leadership Question, and in that we ask the question, to what extent do your people trust you? But also at the same time, I suppose the critical question, to what extent do you trust your people? Are you prepared to let go and to empower them? I mean, there's an interesting quote um, from Steve Jobs, at least attributed to Steve Jobs, which says, we don't hire smart people to tell them what to do. We hire smart people so they tell us what to do. And I think that's where the trust comes in. Have you hired smart people? You're absolutely right. And I have fallen into the category of trying to manage smart people and point at how I want things done and what to do. And ultimately, it always ends badly. And... Yeah, I've probably lost good people in my various careers beforehand where I didn't need to lose them. Yeah, another sort of example I I paint with leaders here is that there's a difference between, let's say, a puzzle, like a a Rubik's Cube or or a jigsaw, and a problem. And when I ask that question, I say, what's the difference between a puzzle and a problem? Then, you know, the answer I'll get and the puzzle I'm talking about is one like a jigsaw or a Rubik. There is one answer. There is one way you get to a, an answer. We all agree. But a problem may have different pathways to get there. And therefore, we sometimes don't trust. And what we really mean is you've got to do it my way. And if we make that the sort of the overriding message, it's got to be done my way, we're not going to get the contribution of our people because we've got to the top, because we are good. But we will not scale our business to be more than who we are until we're willing to take on board the perspectives of others, those smart people who I think we probably spent a lot of time trying to get on board. So in your experience, Glenn, do you see quite often leaders say, no, no, I'm very good at delegating. And as you're having (laughs) the conversation, you're thinking, there is no way you're good at delegating. Is that more common than we as business leaders would like to admit? Yeah, I think so. And and sometimes it's unintentional. I like to point out there's a difference between intention and impact. And if you ask leaders if they're a good coach, they'll say, yeah, coaching comes hard. You know, I do a styles questionnaire in the workshop and nearly every leader comes out as quite high on coaching. When you speak to their people, if I go and speak, say, for a key group, which Vistage leaders will know of, they will go, oh, my boss is a bit of a micromanager. It's not that they're micromanagers, they're pace setters and they view coaching but they're actually pace setting. And pace setting is I take it over from you and I do it myself. Because there's two sayings that we've grown up with. If you want a job doing well, do it yourself. Do it yourself. Yeah. And and so we do. And then the other thing is what I'd call pace. If you're going to coach someone, it's going to take longer than if you were doing it yourself. So leaders don't realize that because everything seems so urgent, they go, just leave it here. I'll do it. They think they're coaching, but that's not coaching. That's pace setting. That's taking over. And so we need to really understand the difference between pace setting and coaching. Okay, so let's assume we've got a community of leaders 
listening to this who won't admit it, but they've got a white knuckle grip on how they <laughs> think they're coaching and managing their staff and how their staff think are being challenged to manage up. How do we start to approach that? If it's possible, can we come at it from what leaders should do and possibly what the team members should do? Because we've got a wide community listening to these podcasts. Maybe some tactics, maybe some yeah. possible ways of working around that. Well, the first thing you've got to do, you've got to make it safe for people to contribute. And there's a, a researcher called Amy Edmondson, you know, from Harvard Business School, who did some research with surgical teams. And she found that the highest performing surgical teams actually reported the most mistakes and errors, which was totally counterintuitive to what she was expecting. But on, you know, looking into it further, she realized that there was an environment of safety there. People could report what they felt was not right, what was incorrect, even if their intervention was not accurate, at least they felt free to challenge. And anyone knows surgeons are usually pretty sharp people and they run their theatres, yeah? So to create an environment where people could intervene, interact, make suggestions. And so she termed this psychological safety. And there's a famous story um, that Alan Mullally, when he took over Ford, and everyone may remember during the financial crisis that Ford was the only one that didn't take a bailout from the government. He said when he first went there, Ford were losing how many billion? You know, I can't remember the exact number. And he would have the directors make their reports in the weekly meetings and everyone's report was green. You know, the rag report, red, amber, green. Everyone was showing green. So one day he said, hey guys, we're losing, let's say it's 50 billion. We're losing 50 billion and yet every report is green something is not quite adding up. So he said that the next meeting, when he asked how things were going, there was a guy called Mark Field, who actually eventually became CEO of Ford after Alan Mulally left, who actually termed a red, said, I'm red on one of these. And here's how you now create psychological safety. The rest of the room sort of backed away like, oh my God, he's gonna get it. And Mulally clapped. He applauded him and said, Mark, great stuff. Thank you for sharing that with us. Is there anyone here who could give Mark a hand? Is there something that you've seen that you think you could help Mark with? Suddenly everyone sort of leaned forward and started to make suggestions. He said, next week we had the full array of traffic lights. So how do you create safety? Your behavior has got to say, you, you've got to sort of applaud, that might sound hard, yeah? When someone puts something forward, says, I think I'm gonna slip on this project. I think I'm behind. Whatever it may be, you've got to say, great, that's what I wanted to hear. That's a great insight. So it's about creating that safe environment to put up your hand. Yeah. But the other piece I love about that story is that other members of the team then put up their hand and say, I can help you. Absolutely. And no doubt that person can say, I can help you with your red light or your amber light or whatever it is as well. So it starts that conversation between the two and it's not having to be defensive to Great other team way. members as well as whoever you're managing up to. Yeah, because sometimes we create competition and it's not, what, you know, we think competition is always great, but we need teamwork. Yeah. And the way people have to be able to, and this is a great word in terms of managing up, have to be able to demonstrate vulnerability. And where does that start? Starts with you as a leader. Do you put your hand up? Another way of creating safety is to go, I thought this was right and I'm not sure it's the right way. I need some help with this. Can I have some feedback on this decision? 
this process. And another thing is, if there is a new challenge facing you, you will have your view, but speak last. For example, should we go for the greenfield or the brownfield site? Don't sort of introduce me and say, well, I've given it some consideration. And I think in terms of our investment, let's stay with the a brownfield site and refurbish it. What do you guys think? <laughs> yeah, immediately you're setting the premises for the decision. Yeah, your team respect you. They really do. And if you say, I've given it a lot of thought and I think this, what do you They go, well, you've given it a lot of thought. You know what's going down. Hey, I endorse your thinking, you know. And this kind of speaks to the five dysfunctions, the Patrick Lachoni thing, which yeah. is you want people to be vulnerable. You mentioned vulnerability a moment ago. So Absolutely. if you're going around the table, get everybody's input. So at least they're being listened to. They feel they're being listened to. Absolutely. And I mean, you mentioned Lencioni there and, you know, number two on it is dysfunction is fear of conflict and fear of conflict of wanting to agree with everyone in the room because we think that's what a great team is. So it's basically a cohesive group. That leads to possible groupthink. And funny enough, groupthink is more likely in so-called cohesive groups where all minds think alike. There's a saying, if all minds think alike, then no one is thinking. Yeah. So be, be mindful of groupthink, you know, it doesn't just mean that we're doing well. Conflict is good within a team. Have the conflict when you're together, but once you agree on a decision, then you go out four square behind that decision. So that which then leads on to accountability. But to get to that point, I'm assuming it's all about questioning. It's you've got to be relentless in questioning. Absolutely. I mean, I refer to listening ferociously. What does that mean? It's just to focus it in my own mind is that you ask more than one question. What concerns do you have? Is there anything else you'd like to add to that? If you were me now, what else would you consider? And just keep drawing people out. Tell me more about that. Encourage the challenge. And I think... We sometimes just take the first answer. We must just explore, and that's what I mean by listen ferociously. Have I really, really listened? Have I given people time? You will have members in your team who don't like being put on the spot. So I'd say even before a meeting, it might be useful to say, here are some of the issues we're going to consider in this meeting. Yeah, we're going to explore this. We'll have a decision on that. Can you give some thought to this? Some very good at thinking off the cup, others would love to get those questions beforehand. And then you'll get their contribution when you get together. Now that's a very important point. Certainly the reflective point, giving reflective thinkers the chance to get their ideas straight or at least get an argument in their head. Okay, so we've been talking very much from a sort of leader standpoint here. Let's flip it a little bit because there'll be people listening who are team members or their senior leadership team members. They'll be at various levels. What can they do when they've got a boss that they're trying to deliver you know, the, yeah. the best results for? How do we help them? I think the first thing that they need to do is to make sure they're on the same page. And so it's incumbent on every leader and their team members to make sure that they have a shared purpose. We talk about shared purpose as if it's just something that people pick up by osmosis. We have to be explicit about that purpose. 
So every now and then it's worthwhile saying, and this is what we're going for. Now everyone say, yeah, it's all about profit, but what are we focusing on this quarter or even in a particular initiative? What is it we're trying to achieve here? Oh, it, it's to improve customer focus. What do we mean by customer focus? Is it responsiveness? Is it being more customized? Be very clear that we have a shared purpose, that we're in agreement. So check with your people. I mean, in the military, they have something called brief back. You brief in the people below you, the lieutenants and so on, and then you go, okay, what did you hear? And they brief back. Now that's a complete briefing. We've closed the loop. We now know we have a shared purpose. So I'd be asking every leader, if you want to improve the managing upward and the flow of information, why not try a brief back? Yeah, here's what I'm after. This is what we're trying to achieve. And here's the key thing. This is why we're trying to achieve it. This is why. Because sometimes we have to change strategy and people need to know, right, I'm going to try a different method, but I know what I'm trying to achieve and why. I think this is such an important point as well, Glenn, because so often I hear that people are not clear about their expectations. They think they've said something. They think it's been heard. They've said it probably one time. I can't believe such and such didn't get it. I told them, you know, it was perfectly clear. And of course, whoever it is has heard something completely different and they don't come back with it. Throughout this, there's been a sort of undercurrent, if I will, that there are millions of very good leaders who are lovely personalities. <laughs> and, but I'm sure there are plenty of people listening to this podcast where they go, not in my experience, you know, somehow the leader comes across as being I don't know, there's some personality trait that makes them quite difficult to either approach or communicate with or what have you. How do we approach that from a team member point of view? What we need to be thinking about is how does the leader like to receive information? When is a good time to actually communicate with that leader? And you need to have the conversation. I would say when I'm having to address this issue of the poor flow of information up and down, it's because people don't have the conversations. And we need to understand how people like to receive information. Some people say, send me a report. Is this a one pager? So you could send me a report and I go, there's a story, I'll tell you a story, um, involves Henry Kissinger and the art someone to provides a report on, you know, the, say the Middle East crisis, let's just say that. And the person submitted the report and Kissinger wrote on it, you'll have to do better than this, send it back. <laughs> person takes the report back, works on it night and day, sends it to Kissinger, he goes, you'll have to do better than that. So the third time, this is supposedly a true story, could be apocryphal. Person works night and day and brings it in personally. I've got to have an interview with Mr. Kissinger. He sits down with him and he says, Mr. Kissinger, it will not get better than this. And Kissinger's response was, okay, I'll read it then. Ho, ho. So <laughs> suddenly he found out what he needed to do to get Kissinger to read it. And suddenly it's really a mismatch of styles. You know, sometimes a leader might not want to read a 20-page report. Most leaders are very practical and want to get things done. So one-pages it may be. But you need to communicate this to your people. How do you like to receive your information, your input, and your feedback? And then they'll be able to match that, and therefore the communication flow will be easier. A trait as a team member, I'm guessing here, is not only to be sort of insightful and be 
not necessarily challenging, but certainly ask the questions. But there's an element of courageousness in here. Absolutely. You know, we mentioned the Steve Jobs quite earlier. We hire smart people, you know, not to tell them what to do, but to tell us what to do. It's incumbent on every member of the team to go, hang on, I'm a part of this. I've been hired to make a contribution. I'm a smart person. I have a point of view. And withholding that point of view is dangerous. It's dangerous for the business and it's dangerous for your boss. It's dangerous for yourself. I mean, there's um, Patty McCord, who used to be in Netflix, Human Resources. She tells a story where someone says to her, what would you fire me for? What should I watch out for and avoid doing? And she said, well, apart from the normal sexual harassment, fraud, you know, and so on. She gave it some thought. She said, you know what? If we were having a post-mortem, if we were reviewing a project that didn't quite go right, and you said, yeah, I knew it wasn't going to work because of X, Y, Z, and you hadn't shared that with us, she said, I'd run you over in the car park. <laughs> and I thought that was just a great story because I want to know. I want the information. Don't tell me afterwards. And I think all of us have been in pubs or whatever at the weekend or on a Friday night and we hear people solving all the problems of the organisation. Why are they doing it there? <laughs> Do yeah. it in the boardroom. Go into your boss and say, I really want to share something with you. You've brought me in and this is a contribution. It's yours now. You can choose to use it or not, but it's really something. I can't go home with this thought, this concern, this issue in my mind. What that then triggers in my head is, okay, I'm now going to tell my boss my view, but I've got to unlock this element in him or her. How is she going to listen to me? How is she going to receive what I'm transmitting? And I'm guessing there's an element of just, you know, people take information in different ways. So yeah. you've got to work that piece of the puzzle out. Yeah, I would say the most common failing is that people don't get to the point with their bosses and, and bosses should share that. Say, look, tell me what it is. Tell me what you think the impact is. So it's a bit like just giving feedback. When you give feedback to someone, it should be behavioral. Yeah, you state what you saw, what you noticed. It's got to be evidence. Then you say, and this was the impact of that behavior. And this is what I think the consequences could be going forward. If you can keep it that precise as a boss, if you can coach your people to provide input to you in that way, what's the issue? What's the potential impact? What's the consequences going forward? Then the boss is smart enough and the boss may say, OK, let's sit down together and let's come up with alternatives to this. And I think that's the starting point. In terms of establishing the style of the boss, whoever it is, wants to get that information, apart from asking, are there any other sort of tips? You know, do you look out for types of, you know, the old NLP approach where you're looking at language or do they respond to visual cues or...? Yeah, I mean, use whatever tools are available to... Yes, some people... Another thing, there's a, some work by a guy called Ajinsky, and what he said was um, you need to not be afraid of being what he calls assertively insistent. So I might say to you, Matthew, I really think we need to review that supply chain um, issue. And the boss goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go, well, I told him. If nothing happens, Ajinsky says one of the most effective ways to influence your boss 
is to be persistent, to come back again. So I think as well as style, be persistent and think in terms of, as you say, is it verbal? Is it auditory? Is it visual? Show me a chart. Show me the trend. Okay, Glenn, so we've been looking at this from the perspective of the team members. Let's flip it back to where we started, mm -hmm. back to the CEO's point of view, yeah. the leader's point of view. What should they be doing to encourage this behaviour, to encourage that questioning from their team members? It's to repeat some of the things we've said before in terms of creating the psychological safety. And you do that behaviorally. You know, you don't make an announcement. Say, hey, I've been on a program. I've listened to a podcast. It needs to be safe here. So I want you to know it's safe. You have to do that behaviorally. Look for a situation where you can literally make it safe for someone by showing invulnerability. But ask the question. I may have missed something here. If I've missed something, what could it be? Ask the question. Let's say you make an announcement. I'm sure you have some concerns. I'd like to hear your concerns. If no one answers, because sometimes everyone's waiting for one person to speak, one way I've found it useful to start the ball rolling is to say, in a previous situation similar to this one, a question I was asked, or I have been asked, is, and you lead with the first concern. That then, people can build on that, because they go, oh, well, I wasn't actually gonna say that, but I was also thinking, so you need to get the ball rolling by giving an example of a concern that you know is bubbling up. Yeah. So you and take the top off the bottle at that point. Abso then. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Glenn, this has been fantastic. There's been plenty of stuff here, and we've got to probably wrap it up now. But just to recap, as I heard it, some great takeaways here. We've just reiterated, you've just reiterated this element of creating psychological safety. So that's something that we need to do. One brilliant trait, which I, I encourage everybody to do, is the if you're running a meeting or whatever, speak last, make sure you listen to everybody around the table first, speak last. And I love this listen ferociously, encouraging illicit questions. I'm reminded, actually, there was a quote from Jack Welsh, who said that all managing is, is just coming up with the right questions and getting the right answers. So it's all about questioning, all about listening to the... So that's fantastic. And then from a team member point of view, get clear on the purpose of your leader. And if you're not clear on it, challenge, ask, be courageous. Get in there, ask the questions. You don't need to do it in an aggressive way, but find out the style, find out how your leader wants to communicate, how they're going to talk to you, and learn that style. Fantastic, Glenn. I really appreciate you coming in and spending some time with us today. That's all we've got time for. As always, we invite our listeners to share this podcast with their peers and families. This podcast production has been brought to you by Vistage, the world's leading business performance and leadership advancement organisation. Please do tweet us at Vistage UK with your questions and feedback and visit vistage.co.uk for more information. Until next time, I've been Matthew Griffiths. Thank you very much for listening.